Hey guys, good to see you today. Why don't we, uh, why don't we take some seats here and uh, we'll, get, we'll get this going. Um, I, I think there's this, uh, this, this penchant that we have as a species, as the human race, that we, we, we tend to um, remember tragedy well. I bet there's some dates that I could flash up here today and there'll be a lot of you here that could probably tell me exactly where you were when this date happened. Make sense? Let's, let's give it a whirl. Here's one. Yeah, some of you got it. Now, I was nothing but a figment of the imagination of a 15-year-old girl's mind at this point, but, uh, <laughs> but some of you know exactly when and where, right? What is it? Yeah, Kennedy assassination. Little known bit of trivia, also the day C.S. Lewis died. All right. How about this one? A little more contemporary. I was at a church in uh, Belvedere at the time, out by Rockford, and I remember when this scene was coming on the news, and I was going down to teach eighth grade religion at a day school, and they had a fire drill set. And so the news is breaking, and everyone has to go out of the building, and I remember this vividly. I'm watching TV and shouting out the window what's breaking on the news to the teachers who are outside. All right, how about this one? You got this one? Probably a worse tragedy than the other two combined. It was the day Star Wars Episode One um, <laughs> premiered. I was in Westminster, Colorado. I was camping in line for eight hours for the midnight premiere. And I'm just telling you, I am not getting that time back. Um, <laughs> we remember tragedies, right? We remember, and we remember where and when, and they fix in our mind. Here's another one. 587 B.C. If there is no other date you remember in all of Old Testament history, remember this one. This was their 9-11. This was their November 22, 1963. This was their Star Wars Episode I Phantom Menace. This was the day that Israel was destroyed and it etched itself in their memory. Babylon invaded Judah. They tore down the city walls of Jerusalem. They burned the temple to the ground. They deposed the king, and they sent all the remaining people who were left alive after the onslaught into exile. In fact, for centuries later, even till today, this state is known as the exile. It was Israel's tragedy. The day for them, like 9-11 or like JFK, when, when, when culturally and when in the ethos of, 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 of their nation, everything changed. What do you do when everything changes on you? We've had these moments. What, what do you do when everything you have come to believe and everything that you have come to put your hope in is taken out from under you at the knees. We're going to talk about how Israel had to come to terms with a day like that, when everything that they believed about God changed. And by extension, we're going to talk about how we can be prepared or deal with times like that too. And what this does for us 
This magic date of 587 BC, it, 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 it kickstarts the last leg of this journey that we've been taking through, through Jesus' Bible, through the Old Testament, looking at how Israel came to terms with everything being different after this date. Now, let's kind of set a stage here a little bit. Up until this point, well, well, not up until this point, but up until before this point, roughly, Israel had been upward trajectory all the way from about the time of the Exodus when God brought them out of Egypt up until the time of like King David and King Solomon, they were a rising star. I mean, they were going from good to great. God was blessing them. They were prosperous. They were, they were free. They were delivered. They were, they were getting to know this God of the universe more and more who was revealing himself more and more. God was doing miracles among them in signs and signs and defying all odds to, to save this little fledgling group. And they would look around and I mean, it was just obvious. Someone would say, where's God? And they go, open your eyes. He's everywhere. Look at the way he's blessing us. Look at what he's doing for us. They had problems to be sure. They had setbacks. But overall, it was a trajectory going higher. And it is so easy, isn't it, to trust God in times like that when everything is going great? I think it's also easy to take him for granted, isn't it? And this is what started to happen for Israel. It, it was easy. Trusting God was easy. It wasn't tested. They took him for granted. They began to believe this is just the way it's always going to be. And when you take someone for granted, you just don't care as much. And, and, and they ceased to care as much. And they started to get more concerned with their own agenda, with their own ways, with their own, their, their own ways of doing things. They stopped really caring so much about God or his word or his ways or his plans. And it started this, this long, slow, downward spiral. Have you ever felt in life like you're on a long, slow, downward spiral? The book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings in the Old Testament, it talks about this, this time in Israel's history where they slowly began to be chipped away. It wasn't going from good to great anymore. In fact, things were getting worse. And it kept getting worse, and it kept getting worse, and it kept getting worse until Israel was holding on by a thread. There's a refrain that you'll see in First and Second Kings. It'll say, the people did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Or, the king did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And, and so, God would withhold his blessing or send a minor calamity and try to wake the people up. And they would repent for a time. And it would get better for a time but it was only for a little bit of time. And then we're right back into it, going further and further from God until they hit this rock bottom right before 587 BC, right before it where they are holding on by a shadow and a thread. Let me, let me help you visualize it this morning. Here's a map of the Middle East, okay? You can see Babylon here. Keep that in mind. That gets important. 
Now, the modern state, the modern nation of Israel is roughly right in here. You got that? With Jerusalem probably right about there, just on the outskirts of the Dead Sea. Now, at the time of Israel's heyday, you know, when they were at the top, the days of like King David, and maybe even more so King Solomon, the blue section was the extent of the nation of Israel. By the time we come to 587 BC, Israel has been reduced to this. Holding on by a thread. And what do you do when you're holding on by just a thread? And then everything is stripped away. I asked you earlier, I'll ask it again. Do you ever feel that way? Like what once was no more is, and you're holding on by a thread, and you, you, you do it right. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you start, you approach it, you know, I'm, I'm going to approach it nobly. I'm going to approach it with dignity. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be patient. I am going to hold on, and it just keeps chipping away. And every good intention you have starts to get broken. Every bit of resolve, it starts to crack. And you don't think you can endure much longer. And then it gets worse. And so you decide to seek God. You start praying. You start going to church. You start, you start seeking him and calling on him and, and, and calling out to him. And nothing happens. And it feels like God isn't listening. Or worse, like God doesn't care. Or worse, I mean, like, God is out to get you. And you're holding on by a thread. And then it's taken out at the knees from underneath. You ever have a time like that? If you have, you can identify with what Israel was going through in 587 B.C., Holding on by a thread. And then it's all taken away. Now, here's why. Here's the problem. Israel based their faith in four main things. Up to this point, ancient Israel defined their faith and their connection to God in four different ways. Here they are. By Jerusalem, by the temple, by the king, and by the land. See, from day one, God had promised them this, this land, this place where they were going to be safe, this, way, way, this place where they could experience, quote, rest, rest before the Lord, where they could prosper and flourish. It was a sign that God's blessing and presence was upon them. And in the land, there was this place called the temple. Now, a temple ain't a church. A temple was something very different in the ancient world. A temple was a place where you didn't go to say prayers and sing songs, really. It wasn't really a place you went to learn about God. It was a place that God actually lived. It was his house. Where did you want to find God in the Old Testament? Where'd you go to find him? Go to the temple. And so God was there in this temple where they would find him in his most concentrated form, where they could have connection with him, even more so it kept the relationship alive. It was a place where they 
offered their sacrifices, a place where they could make atonement, a place where they could know that the things could be made right again, even if they went wrong. And God promised them a king, one who was going to exercise God's, God's goodness and justice on their behalf, one who was going to bring God's peace to the land, one, the one who was going to be so intertwined with God's purpose and will that this king could even be called the son of God. And God promised them a king, a dynasty that would last forever. And it all found expression in a city, Jerusalem. It was in the heart of the land. It was where the temple was located. It was called the city of David, the city of the king. One of the places that he identified himself, like a capital, almost. And in 587, it's all taken away. Listen to this as I read to you from Chronicles, which records the event. It says this, Now Yahweh, the God of their fathers, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of Yahweh was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and speared neither young man nor young woman, old man or aged. God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasure of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. Now listen to this comment that, that, that the book of Kings interjects. It says, when this happened, they fled. The people fled toward the Arabah, the desert. But the Babylonian army pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his soldiers were separated from him and scattered. And he was captured. He was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where sentence was pronounced on him. They killed the sons of Zedekiah, the sons of, of the king before his eyes. And then they put out his eyes. Do you see it? They slaughter his family, his line, the dynasty before his eyes, then take out his eyes so the last image burned in his brain is the destruction and slaughter of his family and the kingship. And they put him in bronze shackles and took him to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar carried into exile to Babylon the remnant, those, those who were left after the onslaught, who escaped from the sword. And they became servants to him and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. What do you do 
when everything that you put your faith in is stripped away? What happens when everything that you come to depend on and find as your foundation in this world is taken out from underneath? You know what happens? Your world gets rocked. Your faith gets rocked. And I think what happened to Israel in 587 BC has something important to teach us today. Because it is so easy for us to substitute God with other things, to put our faith in substitutes for God instead of in God himself. You know, some of you might, whether you're conscious of it or not, really be putting your faith in a church. Maybe this church, maybe another church, maybe a church body, or maybe a figurehead within a church, a person within a church, or something like that. You become dependent on it for your spiritual growth and connection to God and well-being. And I'm just here to tell you, churches fail. People fail. This church fails. I fail. It can be taken away. Some of you, maybe you're putting your, your, your faith in something that happened in a church, a, a baptism, or some kind of profession of faith, a, a confirmation, or some kind of rite that, that you went through. And, and can I just say, oh, guys, don't. Some of you are, are, are putting your faith in the idea that, well, you're connected to a church, you're a member of one, so that's what matters. Oh, I'm just here to tell you there was a lot of church members in hell. Some of you are putting your faith in signs. You're looking around you to see evidence for God. And I'm just telling you, for everything that you can put your faith in like that, something else can rebut it. You're putting your, your faith in answered prayers, God working in your life. Guys, what happens when it stops working that way? It is so easy to put our faith in cheap substitutes. Worse as I think those of us, and I think this is most of us, who, who aren't putting our faith in something out there, we're putting our faith in something in here, inside of us. You know, maybe it's that feeling you get. You know, it just feels so good. You feel so inspired. You feel so connected. It just feels so uplifting. And you've come to equate that feeling with, with God himself. I'm telling you, unless you're God, that feeling ain't him. It's a feeling. And it won't always be there. It can go away. Maybe you're putting your faith in your own strength, your own ability, your own achievements, your own quality or character. Guys, I, I, I'm just reminded of what Jesus says. If you're doing that, you're building your foundation you're building your house on a foundation of sand. See, what Israel had to learn in 587 BC is that all of these things that we put our hope in, all of these things in which we put our faith, these things can change. 
And if they spell the sum total of our faith, our worlds will get rocked. What Israel had to learn in 587 BC, and what I hope that we learn today as well, is that all this stuff changes. But there is only one thing that doesn't change. And that's God. God is faithful. God is reliable. God is true. All this other stuff inside of me, outside of me, all this stuff can be taken away, but God can't be taken away. God doesn't change. And what Israel had to learn is to put their faith in him and allow God to show himself and express himself and connect himself to them via other means than the things that had defined their faith. And sometimes we do as well. Because the sooner we learn to put our faith in God and not these things we equate with him, the better off we're going to be when it starts to unravel, when we're holding on by a thread, and when everything is taken away. There's a there's this prophet, his name is Isaiah, and he, he writes, he, he prophesies, looking forward, not in a good way, but, but seeing ahead to this time when 587 BC was going to happen. I want to show you what he writes. Can you bring up the first slide on that, please? Look at what, what Isaiah writes, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob. He who formed you, Israel. Fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. I bet when Isaiah penned those words 200 years before the exile happened, they're like, cool, what's on TV? I bet it was entirely theoretical. But it's only when it comes to pass when we're holding on by a thread that words like this really start to matter, <laughs> don't they? Maybe you're here today and you're holding on by a thread. Maybe you feel like you're holding on by a thread and even that is being taken and cut away. Maybe you're here today and everything that you put your faith in has been shattered. I want to invite you to make this your prayer today. I want to invite you to make this your hope today because it is God who is faithful, not stuff outside or within. I want to invite you to rise. The band is going to come back forward. As they do, I invite you that if you need to come to terms with this, to just use this moment right now for that. To pray these words with me. To call out to God with me.
Put your faith in him. Pray it with me. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there ever be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. Last Sunday was Easter Sunday, and I want to revisit with you something that we looked at last week. If you can give me that, that second Corinthians slide. It says this, God is faithful. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes, not an answered prayer, not in stuff, not in feelings, not in the things that you divine from the world around. They are yes in Christ. That is God's assurance of his faithfulness to you. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. And maybe just read that last line with me. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. It is God. God. Who makes us stand firm in Christ. There's this song that we're going to sing that I just think expresses this powerfully. God's faithfulness and that sign in Christ. Make it yours today.